the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful day. This is your host, Al Fadi, and if you join us right now, you're listening to Let Us Reason. And uh, today's topic is going to be about a very uh, interesting uh, issue. If you are in Muslim ministry, uh, you definitely would have heard our Muslim friends telling you all the time that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the one who corrupted Christianity that we are following today, that he's the one who deviated from the teaching of Jesus. And on top of that, they will make the accusation that Paul, in the first place, never met Jesus, that whatever Paul is saying about his encounter with our risen Lord on the way to Damascus is just a figment of his own imagination. Now, obviously, we have plenty of evidence, and I'm not going to get into supporting those evidence, at least in today's uh, show. I will address those for sure. We have plenty of evidence, even from the Bible, from the message itself that Paul shared, of course. And at the same time, some of the phrases that Paul used will indicate that Paul did have at least a uh, an encounter with the Lord, even when the Lord was still um, on earth before his crucifixion, or at least Paul would have been exposed to some of the teachings. Uh, nevertheless, we will address those later. But what I want to say is this, it's really interesting to me that my Muslim people will make accusations against Paul for claiming that he has seen the risen Lord when the accounts of Acts chapter 9 indicate that those who were with him did hear something, but they did not understand what it means. That's the essence of the Greek word in there, that they heard something that is unclear for them. They saw what happened to him. And then Ananias, of course, have the vision of Christ and went to heal Paul by the word of Christ. And uh, Christ, uh, basically, Paul was baptized and began his ministry. Nevertheless, here is something interesting that probably many of you have never heard of. Do you know that Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, actually claimed that he did ascend to heaven? And the phraseology that he used almost mimicked that which Paul used in 2 Corinthians when Paul says that he saw this vision, that he went to the third heaven, and he did not know if it was in the body or the spirit. Muhammad used exactly the same thing. Supposedly, Muhammad was sleeping in Mecca, and all of a sudden, he says, Gabriel basically woke him up, and Muhammad can't tell if he really physically woke up or was just in the spirit that he woke up, and it was a vision for him. And then Gabriel asked Muhammad to ride on a, uh, basically, uh, this mythical horse that has wings, and if it is not a horse, in some accounts, it was just this animal that has wings. And Muhammad rode on it, and this this winged animal flew from Mecca to Jerusalem, modern-day to Jerusalem. And Muhammad led a prayer with a number of prophets behind him, including Abraham, for instance. 
And then Muhammad ascended from the rock where we have the dome of the rock, ascended from there to heaven. But here's the funny part. Here is what the account, at least a portion of that account that is detailed in one of the hadith collections known as Sahih Bukhari. And there are many accounts of this. And it says this, Malik bin Sasa said that Allah's messenger described to him his night journey. That's the name of this ascension. Saying, while I was lying in Al-Hatim or Al-Hijr, meaning in basically the room or the area, suddenly someone came to me and cut my body open from here to here, and what he indicates from my throat all the way down to between my legs. I asked Al-Jarud, who was by my side? What does he mean? And he said it means from his throat to his lower uh, area, basically, or said from the top of his chest to the lower area of his chest. And then the prophet said he then took out my heart, then a gold tray of belief was brought to me, and my heart was washed and was filled with belief and then returned to its original place. Then a white animal, which was smaller than a mule and bigger than a donkey, was brought to me. On this, Al-Jarud asked, the guy who's reporting this says, was it the Burak? This is the name of this animal that Muhammad claimed his name was the Burak. So uh, the, the gentleman who's reporting says, replied in the affirmative. Then the prophet says, the animal's step was on wide, that is, reached the farthest point within the reach of the animal's sight. In other words, his front legs were like really as slanted all the way to the, to the front. And I was carried on it. And Gabriel set out with me till we reached the nearest heaven. When he asked for the gate to be opened, it was asked, who is it? Gabriel answered, it is Gabriel. It was asked, who is accompanying you? Gabriel replied, Muhammad. It was asked, has Muhammad been called? Gabriel replied in the affirmative. Then it was said, he is welcomed. What an excellent visit his is. The gate was open, and when I went over the first heaven, this is Muhammad is saying now. Now, Muhammad is going to describe his journey from one heaven to another, and Muslims believe there are seven heavens, simply because in the Quran, in one of the chapters of the Quran, talks about seven heavens. In fact, chapter 30 of the Quran, for instance, talk about seven heavens. Now, the funny part is, no one knows really if the number seven here is an exact or not, and no one knows if there is a gap between these heavens. In other words, is there a gap or these seven layers, per se, on top of each other? But according to this account that Muhammad is claiming, it appears that there is a gap between these heavens. In other words, every heaven has some inhabitants in it, angels and others. So this is what Muhammad says. When the first heaven opened up, he is uh, basically, the gate opened, and uh, when I went over the first heaven, I saw Adam, he says. He saw Adam there. So Gabriel said to me, this is your father, Adam. Pay him your greeting. So I greeted him and he returned the greeting to me and said, you are welcome, O pious son and pious prophet. Then Gabriel ascended with me till we reached the second heaven. Gabriel asked me, or asked for the gate, I should say, to be open. It was asked, who is it? Gabriel answered, 
It is Gabriel. Then it was asked, who is accompanying you? you? You get the idea. It's just redundancy. That's all it is, you know. And then Gabriel said it was Muhammad and he was welcome, basically. And then when I went over the second heaven, there I saw John the Baptist and Jesus. Well, let's stop right here. This guy is making a claim that he has a vision or a dream. And this dream is nothing but hocus pocus discussions. Okay. And then he's telling us that he saw Jesus. If you go to the Quran, there is an entire chapter that dedicated to this whole night journey thing. Nowhere in this chapter you will even hear or read that Muhammad had any of these encounters or met any of these prophets or individuals or characters, nor that you hear about Gabriel accompanying him and so on and so forth. In fact, Gabriel wasn't even mentioned by name in that chapter. He was mentioned or alluded to somebody, and later the Muslims will claim that this is no other than Gabriel himself. Now, why is that important? That's important because why would Muslims believe this encounter between Muhammad and Jesus that wasn't even recorded in the Quran, recorded in a hadith collection that was written, by the way, almost 200 years after the time of Muhammad with no eyewitness to collaborate any of these events and yet deny what is mentioned in the scripture about the encounter between Jesus and our, uh, our risen Lord Jesus Christ and Paul, the apostle. And the teaching of Paul that was even affirmed by the apostles and many eyewitness accounts that lived at his time who confirmed that his teaching is exactly what Jesus taught, the forgiveness of sin by the shedding of blood and the death on the cross the burial and resurrection. In fact, just go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5, and you see that Paul's message, the gospel, was exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ himself told his apostles to preach. For instance, in Luke 24, verses 44 to 47, when Jesus says that this is what was written about the Christ, that he must suffer in the law of Moses, basically, the Psalms and the prophets. And then he proceeded to say that we ought to go to all nations to preach forgiveness of sin by his suffering, which is the suffering is his uh, crucifixion, shedding of blood, death, burial, and resurrection. Why would Muslims believe this account of Muhammad, that he even saw Jesus, and yet they're not willing to believe the account of the Bible that is corroborated by other authors and other writers? For instance, Peter himself confirmed that the teachings of Paul are scripture. Just go to Second Peter. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. He called him our beloved brother. He affirmed that some people will try to manipulate and twist the meaning of Scripture as they do, basically, of his teaching, I should say, of Paul's teaching, as they do to other Scriptures. So we have more than enough evidence and eyewitness to collaborate Paul's message, not to mention the people that were with him on the way to Damascus that have heard something and saw something. Yet at the same time, Muhammad, not a single soul, ever saw what he is claiming to have happened. And this is why it's frustrating sometimes if you uh, deal with Muslims about those issues. By the way, I wrote about this in my Facebook, which is alfadi.sira. And by the way, another thing to you, our Facebook, my individual, basically, my personal, reached a mark of 5,000 friends. Apparently, I cannot add more friends. Uh, so I would like to encourage you now to start liking the page asking others to like, but then we're going to carry on similar conversations on the ministry page, 
which is Sierra International, my Facebook ministry page, Sierra International. So make sure you invite others to like both, to, to, to like the ministry page, Sierra International, and to follow me now on my alfadi.sierra. Sierra is always C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A. However, here is the uh, issues with the, the, this encounter with Paul. It's obvious that there isn't a single eyewitness account. And the problem that frustrates usually is that the Muslims are not willing to even address it. They're not willing to give us even a good answer. Here is one Muslim. I'm not going to read his name, but here's what he says. Al-Fadi, you are a shameless liar. Show me a verse or hadith where Prophet Muhammad said that he basically met his Lord, Jesus Christ, because I said he met his Lord. And the truth is this, according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to to, uh, 11, um, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, basically, because he humbled himself all the way to the cross, that every knee shall bow on heaven, in heaven, on earth, and below the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I was saying that this includes Muhammad, by the way. Therefore, when I say that Jesus is the Lord of Muhammad, I'm not exaggerating. This is what the scripture says. So he got got frustrated with the fact that I'm making this. And this is the answer you get from Muslims usually. Instead of addressing the issue that I'm asking about eyewitness account, I get this accusation that Al-Fadi, you're a shameless liar. That's okay. Join the club, my friend. And here's another Muslim says, my Christian brothers, please tell me, what did you know about the inside of heaven? So are we talking about heaven and description of heaven? Or are we talking about whether Muhammad met Jesus or not? You see, this is what we deal with day in and day out. No matter how hard you try, all you get is diversion, denial, and never discussing the real questions. So that's one of the things that I posted recently on my Facebook. Let's go to another one. And we're talking about now the ascension to heaven. And my question is this, did Muhammad really ascend to heaven? Now, here is the interesting part about this post. I titled this post, The Islamic Dilemma, as I titled most of my post. And I called it this, The Night Journey Revisited. Did Muhammad really ascend to heaven? Now, here is why I'm asking this question. The ascension to heaven was mentioned in two different chapters. The chapter that is named after the night journey. And then also in another chapter called the star, chapter 53. The chapter of the star, chapter 53, is a very interesting one because in chapter 53, verses 19 to 22, we get what is known as the Satanic Verses Incident. What is the Satanic Verses Incident? The Satanic Verses Incident, if you've never heard of it before or you haven't been tracking with uh, my discussions about it or others, of course, that talked about it, is that Muhammad claimed that Allah sent him a message declaring that it is okay for Muslims to bow down to three idols that are found in the Kaaba, in the shrine in Mecca. And when the Arabs, who are pagans, the relatives of Muhammad and his tribe, heard this, they celebrated that finally the God of Muhammad agrees with their worship of idols. And then Muhammad and everybody with him bow down to these idols. Then a time later, we don't know if it was a couple of hours, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, Muhammad came back and recanted this message and says, I'm sorry, it was actually Satan who revealed that verse to me. It wasn't Allah. 
Therefore, I was rebuked by Gabriel, and now I'm going to fix that verse, and it's no longer going to endorse the intercession of these three idols, but rather uh, they are just described as idols that are not beneficial to anyone. That's why it is called the Satanic Verses. Now, this is a very troubling account, by the way. If Muhammad, the prophet of God, couldn't discern if the Holy Spirit or if Gabriel or someone is speaking to him from God, and he assumed that if Satan uh, was sent from God and later discovered it was Satan who tricked him, we have a problem here. But here is why I brought this issue up in this post. The satanic verses happen in chapter 53, verses 19 to 20. Incidentally, chapter 4, uh, uh, chapter 53, which is the same one, verses 4 to 18. Notice, the satanic verses are verses 19 to 20 in chapter 53. But in the same chapter, chapter 53, verses 4 to 18, talk about the night journey. So I asked this question. I said, could it be that Satan also confused Muhammad when he talked about this night journey, and it would have been Satan himself who gave Muhammad this idea that he himself ascended to heaven. And of course, as you would expect, no one liked the fact that I was saying things like this, because apparently I don't know what I'm talking about. All you get is memes, and you get no answers that are even valuable whatsoever. So let's see, for instance, What's going on here? You know, I'm, I'm checking to see if any of our Muslim friends actually um, did correspond with us in a meaningful way. And uh, so far, I'm scrolling down, and it doesn't really um, doesn't really look like they even bothered to uh, to say anything to us uh, for some reason. I'm not so sure why, but uh, nevertheless, uh, this is the point that we were trying to make. If Muhammad was tricked. In the same chapter, verses 19 to 20, to believe that the worship of idols was okay and Satan is the one who did it. Why isn't it possible for Satan to have been the guy who even revealed verses 4 to 18 to Muhammad and made Muhammad think that he did ascend into heaven? So that's really the gist of my question. And by the way, it is well justified to ask questions like this. Why? Because we're dealing with some serious issues here. Now, I am going also to share about another, basically, post. And this time, the post has this title. Quick questions. Test your Islamic knowledge. Eyewitness. Paul versus Muhammad. Once I mentioned, I mean, earlier I did mention to you that the idea of eyewitness is very problematic when it comes to affirming and asserting any of the accounts that are found basically in Islamic documents. You cannot find a single eyewitness account basically that can corroborate any of these discussions that are taking place. Most of the discussions or at least the writings about them have taken place Hundreds of years later. So I was asking, Muslims deny the fact that Paul did ever meet Jesus. And the burden of proof, by the way, is on the Muslims to prove to us that that never happened. It's not on us. We have the word of God and the word of God is more than good enough for us to affirm this. But if Muslims have any other accounts to corroborate these accusations, they need to come forward and show it to us. Do you know that 
uh, basically the Quran never said anything negative about Paul? Do you know that Muhammad himself never mentioned Paul by name or said anything negative about him? Do you know that the commentators of Islam up to 400 years after the time of Muhammad did mention that Paul was one of the apostles of Jesus and had no issue whatsoever with him and his teaching? It's kind of funny that progressively as we advance, all of a sudden Muslim scholars get this good conscience and now they want to attack anything and everything about Christ and Christianity. And Paul is at the center of all of this for whatever reason. So in this post, I asked these Simple questions. I said, we have a biography about Muhammad written by a guy. His name is Ibn Ishaq, who wrote it about 130 years after the time of Muhammad. My simple question is this. Did this guy, Ibn Ishaq, ever meet Muhammad? Did he meet any eyewitness account who can corroborate his biography about Muhammad? Remember, it was written 130 years after the time of Muhammad. So even if an eyewitness account is alive, that must have been 200 years of age. We don't know of any Muslim who lived to be 200 or even 180 or even 110 or 120 or 130. Nevertheless, somehow his biography is adored. Then 70% of his biography was lost. And then his student Ibn Isham took on this mission to rewrite it and add it even more. Expanded the biography if you wish. And that's when he added also the genealogy of Muhammad's claiming that Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael and so on and so forth. The problem is this. Ibn Isham wrote his biography about 180 years after the time of Muhammad. My simple question is this. Did Ibn Hisham ever meet Muhammad? Did Ibn Hisham ever meet any of the eyewitness accounts or people that can corroborate what he wrote about Muhammad? Of course, it's silent. You don't hear any answers. Then we have collections of the sayings of Muhammad known as Hadith. The most prominent one of them, the most authentic, is called the Bukhari collection. Do you know that it was collected 200 years after the time of Muhammad? So my question is this. When did Bukhari himself meet Muhammad? Or did he ever meet any eyewitness people who lived with Muhammad? Remember, he collected it 200 years after the time of Muhammad. In fact, what's so funny about Bukhari's collection is he collected more than 600,000 of them and he only used 7,000. Notice, 600,000, he only used 7,000, 1%. And he discounted 99% as fabrications. Hmm, that's a very interesting theory, basically. Why wouldn't fabrications also be included in the 7,000 that remained if the rest of them were fabricated? How did he determine if it was fabrication or not? Nevertheless, that gives you an idea. If the majority of these sayings about Muhammad were fabricated, then that leaves the door wide open for fabrications on other accounts, in his biography, in the Quran, and many other things that Muslims consider to be their authentic resources. And then we have a commentator that is very prominent who wrote history and talked about the life of Muhammad as well. His name is Al-Tabari. My simple question is this. When did Al-Tabari ever meet Muhammad or any of his companions or any of his followers since he wrote it about 400 years after the time of Muhammad? You get the idea. It is really impossible for this to take place. It's really impossible to take these... 
to take these sources, Islamic sources, seriously. Because if you are to take them seriously, then you must have collaborating evidence from outside the sources of Islam, eyewitness uh, accounts, other writings, in order for us to make sure that the biography of Muhammad is authentic and free from error, that the sayings of Muhammad or Hadith are authentic and free from error, and so on and so forth. And sadly, we do not have a single account that can corroborate any of these things. My time is up. Thank you for joining us as always. You can always go to my Facebook, alfadi.sira. Sira is C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A, alfadi.sira. And go also to our ministry website, sirainternational.com. And go to our ministry Facebook page, Sira International. And you can really benefit from all of our teaching videos in there. Some of the videos I've done with David Wood, other teachings that I've done on the resurrection recently. And they're being released on a weekly basis. And you can enjoy some of these posts and the discussions and chime in as well. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.